Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And here we are, starting, I guess, season three of the Collective Journey podcast and a new book, The Sure Word Study. And this is an 18-part, 18-chapter series on some biblical principles and biblical teachings of, like, I guess, how would you guys describe it? You can't really say church doctrine, necessarily, because it's not. It's just fundamental teachings of the Bible. Um, on the back of the book, I could just read a little bit of the, of the collection there. Um, it just says like this collection includes topics that teach how to get more from your study of the scriptures. So that's really cool, right? Topics, rigid of evil, Trinity, nature of God, sleep of death, mm. hell, the second death, wrath of God. Y'all are going to get me on a tangent talking about the wrath of God. Um, the death of Christ, salvation in a healing model. I think that's going to be really profound when we start talking about that because a lot of people, salvation in a healing model. That's really good. What comes to your mind when you hear that salvation in a healing model? Any ideas? I don't know how to put it into words. A healing model is more of a healing and restoring versus the model of an angry God mm. uh, getting ready to strike. Yeah. Wonderful. And then here in the second paragraph of the description, these studies are not based on the teachings of any church, priest, preacher, or ancient, quote, church fathers. These studies are based on the Bible alone. I'm going to throw a wrench in the conversation because there are 44,000 different Christian denominations all claiming to teach on the Bible alone. And they don't agree. So that's going to be a really interesting thing to keep in our minds as we go through this study to kind of make sense of all that. I think so. Okay, so let's just get started here with lesson one. It just talks about, it's titled The Word, The Sure Word of Truth. And and um, <clears throat> lesson one is really interesting. It's also really interesting facts about the Bible. Um, important details. Is the Bible just a collection of stories? Is it coincidental? Is it made up? It, it really kind of gets into some interesting answers. Um, I would say like uh, the first paragraph here. Um, can is someone willing to read that for us? Just the opening paragraph of the lesson. One thing is certain. We live in uncertain times. The challenges of these times, in many cases, lead people to depend upon their fellow men for truth and spiritual guidance which often leads to even more uncertainty. The Catholic priest, the Jewish rabbi, and the Protestant preacher all say they speak for God. They all claim to have the truth, yet they are all teaching different things. How can that be? Common sense tells us that all of them can't be right. In fact, the Bible warns us that even some ministers will be the agents of Satan. What do you think of that? Profound. They all claim to have the truth, yet they all are teaching different things. false prophet you know Romans uh, Paul says in Romans you know let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind right so I think that's really interesting for us to kind of as we go through and unpacking all of this he makes I really like the author of this book is uh, Pastor Bill Chambers he really makes this awesome point in the very opening sentences of the book that 
just because somebody in authority says it doesn't mean it's true or that you should believe it. You should do the research yourself and draw your own conclusion. So based on that, then if I go to or hear somebody talk about certain things, then I go and I decide to look up that chapter, verse, what have you. Mm -hmm. So is what the person who was at the pulpit or the person I was talking to wrong if I don't agree with them? It's mm, a great question. Yeah, because just because you don't agree with someone doesn't make them wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Does it or doesn't it? Right. Mm. So it's a slippery slope. It's true. Yeah. It is. And I've often said, you know, because exactly, you got all these different religions preaching different things and that kind of stuff. And they seem like they want to focus on the differences, you know, like the mm. Baptist, you know, you can't dance or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. the difference would be as opposed to, you know, different denominations. I often tell them, why don't we start with what we have in common? Mm. You know, you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and through him you have everlasting life. You know, do you believe that? Yeah. You know, let's see, do we have that in common? Yeah. And let's start there. You know, do you think it really matters? Some of this other stuff and it matters, but, you know, if we focus on our similarities and what's important, some of the little things that, you know, where they do differ is like, eh. So his bedtime really should be 8.30 or 9. You know, does that really matter? Yeah. And some of it does. I'm not saying that, you know, you sweep everything else under the blanket, but instead of focusing on the differences, focus on the similarities and then write, look at the differences and, like you said earlier, yeah. find out the answers for yourself. And yeah. so, right, so they're wrong in that area about the bedtime. And I'm using that as an analogy, obviously. Sure. But if their stick in the sand is... Jesus Christ died on the cross, and you know, maybe anyway, there's something to look at. Keep our mind open. I don't know. Well, based on your logic, is that you know, the bedtime eight thirty or nine o'clock? You know, you'd think, well, compromise eight forty-five, but people aren't going to think that way in biblical terms. It's either got to be one way or the other. There's no, black and you white. can't you can't black and white. compromise on what the Bible says. That's what some people are going to believe. The, um, and that's what I, I wasn't saying that. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I, do. I, was, I understand, right. That, you, that could be, you know, that right. You could it's have hard extract, to extracted that out of there. I guess my point being that really is focus on what's important and yeah. the, the life of Christ, you know, and the rest of it will work itself out, I think. That's in my mind what I'm saying. Not so much compromising or debating mm -hmm. the little things, but so focusing on the life of Christ. So the in my opinion, you know, that's that's where the stick is. Right. That's the stick in the sand. The bedtime doesn't really matter so much. I'm not compromising on it, but you know, does it really matter? One of the aspects of anyway, collective journey. Thanks for that feedback. One of the aspects of the collective journey in our mission statement is worshiping God's goodness as revealed in Jesus, which means, um, you know, in Exodus thirty something, Moses on Mount Sinai said to God. Reveal yourself. I want to see you. And so God says, well, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. In other words, my nature, my character, who I am. So in our church, as part of our mission statement that we've you know, been led to create is we're going to worship God's character, understanding it as revealed in Jesus. That's actually biblical because Jesus said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. But the Bible reveals who I am, the kind of God I am. Right. So based on that principle alone, 
when we get into the sure word study, we should be, as we're going through each of these lessons and we're, and we're, and we're discussing these big topics, our key focus, at least mine is, and what I intend to kind of always kind of steer the conversation back to is, what does that say about God? To your point, what does it say about Jesus? What is it revealing about the kind of person God is? Because, because it doesn't matter what religion you're on, if you agree that God is love. God is love. If you agree that God is not love, he's something else. Well, that's something else, right? So so for me, I think it's really important. And and on that note, moving into there at the bottom of page three, our opening chapter, there's some important facts about the Bible listed, which is interesting. So let's keep that in mind as we go through the word, these, these details, these facts about the Bible. What does it say about God? What is it revealing about the kind of person God is? So, Mom, do you want to read for us uh, the important facts about the Bible? The Bible is not one book, but rather a collection of books in one binding. Over 40 different men wrote the Bible over a period of 1,500 years. Each Bible writer wrote in his own native language, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. These men came from various backgrounds, levels of education, life experiences, and different cultures as well. So do we believe that God is the kind of God who can look through time and say, I have a message that I'm trying to reveal. I want people to know me. And he has the ability to see who, where, and what, who the people are who are receptive to being, as the following verse in the Bible says, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God could say, there's someone, even though he was a murderer, speaking of Moses, even though he was a murderer, he's receptive to the Holy Spirit. And Moses ended up reading, what, writing the first five books of the Bible? And David. Was symbol David. Think about that. So I ask the question, do you believe that God can look into your life and say, even though that person struggling they're receptive to my spirit and that's a holy man or woman that can be moved by the holy spirit and that's second peter 121 that's that's profound truth the thing that i've said for a long time is that you know friends may disappear Family may disappear, acquaintances mm -hmm. may disappear, but God's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Amen. Yeah. Mm. There's an interesting, and this might be some really cool, interesting food for thought. Um, there's a sentence here out of the book. The Bible is not a word-for-word -word dictation from God, but rather God speaking through the human mind with each writer expressing it in his own way. Does that give you confidence in the Bible or take away from your confidence in the Bible? That's an interesting idea, right? What do you think about that? I've always, I've always questioned and wondered. Uh, I don't know, not doubting, but because the Bible was written over 1,500 years mm -hmm. or so with what do you say, 40 different mm -hmm. um, writers, authors. Um, how, here in our time and day, thousands of years later, 
how do we know we have it right in our because people um, translated it into then our language five six hundred years ago long after this was written how do we know we've got it right and how many times has it been translated since six hundred years ago so many times you know, so I, I just kind of feel like I just fall on just looking through that lens that we have and trusting that we have a loving father and leaning on that because down through time, how do we know? Well, we know that back in the Roman days, the lawyers twisted things and put a more of a, of a legalness onto the translations of scripture. So we know it got messed up then. I think a key phrase here is with each writer expressing it in his own way. Mm. Do we think? Do we think that God would um, inspire a biblical author who, if, if they didn't have a accurate view of God's character? Does that make sense? Am I asking that question right? No, I think that's why all of it was inspired before Jesus, and it was after Jesus' time that it got messed up. Interesting. Okay. You know, mm -hmm. when the, when it got translated after the Roman time, that's when things got messed up. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that those men were very inspired. The guys that wrote the original, the original um, tablets, mm -hmm. they were the ones that were inspired. It was the translators that weren't so much. Interesting. I don't know. I mean... Think about how long it would take to translate a whole Bible. You have to be pretty inspired to do that. Well, there's a there's a note in here about up until some point the original writings were like they were did by hand. The Bible yeah. was translated by hand for a long time. There were no punctuation. There was no chapters. There was no verses. Um, which is really really interesting because if you think a, a, a theologian that I follow a lot, Graham Maxwell, he loves to kind of riff on this idea of like we're going to get to heaven and. You're gonna walk up to Paul. And you're gonna to say to Paul, you know, Rome, you know, the book you wrote in chapter fourteen, verse three, it says this, that, and the other. And Paul's gonna go, chapter verse what? Like I just wrote a five-page letter, continuous letter. Like what are you talking about? You know? And he he likes to riff on that whole idea of how, you know, people, we should approach reading the Bible as it was intended to be written, which is like as a letter, you should, you should read it. Get the whole context, the whole context, you know. So, moving a little further here in our study, there was some interesting points that came out. Um, there's what the Bible's been translated into more than two thousand languages and many different versions. The versions can be divided into three different types of translations. There at the bottom of page five. So, um, does someone want to read first number one, the word for word translation? What's that all about? Word-for-word -word translations. Examples are the King James, KJB, New King James, New American Standard, NAS, and the English Standard Version. In these versions, the translators have attempted to stay as close to the original wording as possible. Mm -hmm. Does anybody like those kinds of translations, or are they really like drawn to them? They appeal to you. They're hard to read. Some of them? You know, they use that language, right? They have yeah. different way. Clunky? Yeah. Spouse 
Not all of them, though. Just the King James, really. I mean, the new King James is doesn't use too much of that. Easier. <clears throat> I, if I'm going to do any kind of like really deep Bible study, I prefer the New American Standard Bible. I like how that is kind of worded and all that. How about uh, Seth? You want to read the Thought for Thought? Number two. Thought for Thought. Translations. Examples are in the New International the New International NIV and the New Living Translation NLT. In these versions, the translators have attempted to convey the thought of the writer had in mind rather than the exact words. Now, is that dangerous or not? That's an interesting concept, right? So we're not translating the specific word. We're interpreting it to translate the thought. Yeah. It's a little dangerous. You think so? Yeah. Could Why? Be. Why? Maybe their interpretation's wrong. Okay. Well, I see a lot of people kind of chewing on that one. Interpretation is a slippery slope for any one of them. That that doesn't go away. But when you start to thought for thought translate something, you, that's you could go into a little bit deeper or something else. I don't know. If you go to the word for word, that the key word there, which is a slippery slope in itself, is attempted to stay as close to the original wording as possible. Attempted. Because that some words don't, don't translate. Yeah. That's right. and then yeah. so when you then when you get into the thought for thought or the other one, mm -hmm. okay, they attempted to do this, but well, we're gonna attempt to go on their attempt to be attempted to attempt. And what's gonna happen by the time you get three, four, five versions or you get three, four, five people teaching you what it says because you know we got seven seven people in here we're gonna have seven different opinions on the same verse it's quite easily happen so when somebody talks to us about it well, I believe that this is the intent behind this verse and then she'll say something a little bit different and, you know go around the room that could be you know so that I think the key word for me is attempted and then from there it's they can it changes from there for me so the paraphrase translation is number three examples are the clear word the message the living bible these versions rather than a group that's a key point right there i didn't realize these versions rather than a group as the others are usually done by one person in which he puts into his own words what he believes the writers was saying proverbs uh i don't remember where but there's safety in the council of many so the word-for-word word and the thought-for-thought thought translations, as I understand it, typically have been translated by a group of scholars and theologians. It's not the interpretations of one person. Now, let me, let me direct this whole point to this question. What does that say about God? That it's okay for a group of people to attempt to translate a word-for-word word version or a group of people to attempt to translate a thought-for-thought thought translation, or for one guy to say, I'm just going to write my own Bible like Dr. Tim Jennings did with the remedy. What does that say about God? Like, how much liberty yeah. and freedom is God expressing to say, like, what does that say? Does that scare you? doesn't scare me, but it's complex. 
shows how complex he made a language or languages. Terry, stop that. Go for yeah. it. I know you've been chewing on something for a while. <laughs> <laughs> My thoughts are, you know, with the first two and um, the amount of people that it took to write the Bible and mm-hmm. who were inspired by it, mm-hmm. inspired by God mm-hmm. as they were writing, um, you know, we are reached differently. Mm-hmm. We're all very different. Our chemistry is different. The way we learn is different. We can all sit in the same classroom and somebody can be up there spewing something and happy you'll get it and the rest of us will be sitting there going, huh? You know, and the fact that so many people were involved, I think it was because it made it more personal. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that they were different cultures and they were different, you know, backgrounds and, and levels of education and all that, that was planned. That was designed. Mm. You know, it, it, it wasn't just... And it, if you think about it, you know, someone who's a layman versus someone who's, a you know, got his doctorate or, or, or whatever education they got, you know, it's reaching all of those people in different ways. Or, you know, it won't be identical. But I'm, what I'm saying is it's reaching you. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know, I just think that's like... It blows my mind, but it's like it's not scary to me. It's like very inclusive, very, you know, he thought ahead about who he was going to reach, how he was going to reach them, mm-hmm. and and how they would be inspired themselves, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because if this was just one religion or one culture or whatever, how many people, I mean, in this day and age, right. you know, they hear, you know, oh, this group did this. Well, I'm not want anything to do with it, you know, and or, you know, you know how people are. And um, I don't know, I just feel like it was purposely done to reach as many as possible. Mm-hmm. Well said. And, you know, it could go either way. I mean, when you ask these questions, exactly. I mean, they both arguments are supported sure. 100%. But, right, so it's how you look at it. <clears throat> and I kind of like that. You know, when I went to school, it's been mm-hmm. a long time or whatever, but I didn't have one teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I had six teachers for six different subjects. So, mm-hmm. same thing. People are professors and educated in certain areas, or they have a yearning for that. So, I buy into the whole... I, I buy into it that, you know, all these different authors and you pick them kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to mirror what you said, mm-hmm. you know, different ones had different experiences and he did that on purpose. He looked ahead mm-hmm. and these different interpretations and we can beat them apart and say, okay, well, they tried to translate it and, you know, so there's fallacies in that and I see that and I don't, and I agree, but at the same time, like you said, you know, I think these people are trying to make it easier sometimes to read it and to understand it their way. If I really want to understand something, so there's medical books that are written above me, you know, yeah. but then I want to understand diabetes. So somebody's translated that technical stuff, you know, into something that I can understand. If I wanted to be a doctor, I would need to be, had to know how to read the technical book. But as a layman, you know, I'm okay just understanding the jest. So same thing. When I study the Bible, if there's something I really want to know, I look into it. There's a verb, or there's a passage somewhere that says, you know, piece of people. You, you take all the pieces of the Bible. So if I'm just reading one verse 
And so right, maybe that one didn't get translated correctly, but if there's 40 of them that say the same thing, you know, as opposed to two of them that say something that's supporting somebody else's, you know, this is, this is what I say about the Bible, but yet there's a lot more evidence against it or whatnot. So, it, it, and it kind of boiled down to faith. God, there's nothing to prove any of that. And there's a lot to prove that it doesn't, or there can be. You know what I'm saying? I, true to, I, I choose to believe. I choose to believe that the Bible is the inspired word of, of, of God. You know, exactly. But all these things, all these different authors, I've read that there's Bibles that some of the books are left out. There's, there's books yeah. that weren't put into it, you know, and right, you're like, it seems like there could be a lot of fallacies there, but, you know, I think it's because he wants us to be faithful. That's why I boil it down to, you know, he wants us to believe in him and his goodness and his love. And anyway, I'm done. Another thing, too, is you're talking about uh, medical or even with the Bible. You know, we, you know, the dangerous thing is when somebody says, yeah, you have a, you have a sore on your left hand that won't go away, but you're going to Google diagnose it. You're going to read all these different websites that talk about different right. sores. You you know, that. So you do that. That's that's a dangerous thing. Yeah. And I think humans are also dangerous too because depending on your viewpoint of God and what have you, yeah. you're going to go oh verse you know John yeah. verse three blah, blah blah. You're going to go. You're going to do research. You're going to find either the Bible that has the translation that you agree with, you want to agree with, yes. or you're going to find an opinion or a translation from a person on the internet, or you're going to talk to somebody who's going to. You're going to keep looking until somebody gives you the opinion you want of that verse, whether it's legal or not legal or, or what have you. So there's a dangerous, there's a slippery slope there too. There's, you know, there's a lot of dangers or slippery slopes when we talk about different versions, different, and it's, it's, I wasn't there when it was written. I wasn't there when these things happened. Right. I'm allowed to judge whether it's 100% right or not. Page seven, uh, middle paragraph. It actually addresses, Joe, what you're talking about here. Um, the lesson points out it's important that we realize that a casual reading of the Bible isn't enough. And relying upon others to tell us what the Bible says may lead to error. Because exactly what, what law lends or what view of God is that person saying, well, here's what the Bible means, right? So the best course for us is to what? Learn for ourselves. That's the best course. Learn for yourself. And... Further down toward the end of that paragraph, I just highlighted a couple words here. Um, some of the problems we find as we study may be products of our inaccurate perception rather than actual mistakes in the Bible. So we must be careful that we do not put God on trial when we come across a text that we cannot understand. Right? So there's, there's some principles that like are really good that I've adopted when I'm reading the Bible is that God is love always. So if I'm reading a text that makes it look like God is not love, well, that means I don't understand something properly. Yeah. The issue is my understanding, not that God is not love. Okay? And another one is like, um, and there's, there's several principles that I, I, I didn't write them down ahead of time, but primarily that, that's like the initial one. Like there's, <clears throat> God is love, period. I want to intercept something too. Please do. Go, going back to the when we were talking about the word for word, thought mm -hmm. for thought, paraphrase. I'm not saying paraphrase is wrong. Right. I just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. I, um, I just wanted to, uh, you know, the original, the original way that the Bible was written, you know, had 
opportunity for for all those other things and you know you know and it's I think it's open open for someone to be inspired mm-hmm. to write the Bible mm-hmm. you know or translate the Bible and then understand and that maybe reaches other people that we can't or wouldn't be reached otherwise you know mm-hmm. I just I just want to clarify that well. I like I like that that's a great point that's a great I think point. it's interesting there in that one chapter one paragraph on page six it says that no original manuscript exists. They've mm. been lost or destroyed centuries ago. All we have are copies of copies which have been copied many times over. You know, it's, a, it's not a problem with the Jewish ones because they were all very much more meticulous. But it says the New Testament Greek manuscripts are another story. There are thousands of copies of Greek manuscripts for mm-hmm. translators to choose from. Mm-hmm. You know, and and some of them, after they were translated, then later on they found older scrolls, like the Dead Sea Scrolls back in 1947, and then translated them. So, you know. There's an interesting paragraph where the lesson points out that I think, agree, disagree, that doesn't matter, right? My, my intention here is, number one, just to lead us through this study as we discuss these things, and then to connect it to what does it say about God, but... Um, Second paragraph on page six. It is a concern for some that the modern translations of the Bible are different in some places than the older King James Version, which they see as the standard. Because it is referred to as the AV, or authorized version, the reason that it is called the AV is that it is the version King James of England authorized for the church to use back in 1611 AD. It does not mean that it is a better or more accurate a translation than any other. Pause yeah. right there. Yeah. Stop. My intention, and and I and it shouldn't happen here, Stop. not to have a conversation at all. King James is the way to go. This verse is the way to go. Okay, I believe any, if we get into that conversation about what translation is better than the other, then that's not the Spirit of God at work. Yeah. Okay, because that will divide a room. Mm-hmm. That's not at all what I'm talking about. I think it's interesting, though, that the author of this short word study put that in there as a way of like historical fact the king of england authorized the version for the church to use back then okay i think that's an interesting piece for us to kind of chew on um because it is difficult and we all know people that is you know um yeah i'll just i'll just let that i'll just let that rest right there so um i I think that was important for us to kind of bring out because the lesson author since we're talking about the bible itself you know, that's, that was important there to kind of address. So, um, Let's move forward real quick here into bottom of page 7. The following is a list of helpful tools for Bible study. Mm, feels like we're all going to school now. Exhaustive concordance. Hebrew Greek dictionary. Man. Sometimes, and this is where it gets kind of tough for me sometimes, because you're like, well, if you, if you get... If we allow our minds, I think, to maybe get stuck on the idea of like, well, we have to get back to the original. Well, then you better learn Hebrew, you better learn Greek, and you better learn Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's the original. And then if you're going to do that, then number one, what's your law lens? How do you view God? And number two, who or what are you trusting? Because God says in Romans that God, God's divine nature is seen in what he has made so that men are not excused. So that basically means God has revealed himself without ever reading a Bible. 
So those are some really important things to kind of maybe consider too. What does that say about God? How about on page nine, item three, it's going through, for, through a list of 10 principles that help us better understand the lessons of the Bible. And these are some really interesting principles, but how about number three, develop the practice of asking questions about what is read. There's a, there's a bumper sticker and a common belief. The Bible said it, I believe it, period. The Bible said it, I believe it, it's done. There's crickets in here about that. What do we think about that? Does it show a lack of distrust in God or a lack of faith if you are always asking questions? No. No. That's what any intelligent person would do. Be a shred of intelligence. Does it show intelligence if you just believe everything you read? Well said. Hmm. How about in Pat chapter two, or uh, yeah, second second paragraph on the same page under item three? Uh, can someone read that for us? Maybe Lola, you want to read that for us? Second paragraph. For example. For example. For example, you can clearly explain the meaning of the expression "covered by the blood," or can you explain the meaning of words like justification, sanctification, or pro? Petition. Propitiation. Thank you. <laughs> if we can't explain it, it usually means we don't understand it. Sometimes we don't ask for the meaning or an explanation of what is read or spoken, feeling that a good Christian should know what all those words and phrases mean, and thus we are embarrassed for others to think we don't. But if we don't know, we should set aside our pride and ask, what does that mean? And as we study alone, when we see things we don't understand, don't pass over it. Diligently seek the answer. Let's connect that phrase. Thank you, Lil. Let's connect that to Jesus' ministry when he was walking around on earth. How did Jesus respond when people were asking him questions? Right? Last year we went through a pretty extensive study of the book of John. And there was a lot of times in there where it says, you know, the disciples sat down with Jesus and they started talking. They started asking questions. They started these discussions. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night. God, what am I going to do to be saved? Did Jesus say, read your Bible, period, believe it, done. I said it, that settles it, done. Jesus never responded in that way, did he? Never, 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 never. never. In fact, he would simplify things because sometimes he would... Wait, you mean Jesus would paraphrase the Bible? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he would tell a story. Right, yes. He Exactly. He would tell a story for others to understand Yes. in their situation or something that they're familiar with. Yes. Sometimes I really think we make things so hard. Yeah. Like with these big words. Yeah. Justification, <laughs> sanctification, yeah. propitiation. Um, why do we make... Living like Jesus, so complicated. Mm. I I just think we make it too hard, too technical. And why is that? What's the root of that? What is hard in in our society? 
what is super technical? What is, in our society, the, the word, and not only the word, but the exact phrasing you use can determine the outcome of whether a person is guilty or innocent. It's the legal system. It's the legal system. Yeah, all of that to me is legality. 100%. It's all legality. If it's, and it's and lawyers, lawyers and paralegals, yeah. they spend hours perfectly constructing the exact wording and the phrasing. Yeah. Because like when Sarah and I a couple years ago went through some um, hearings here at the township to get a variance, we spent some time with an attorney. And the attorney like constantly kept coming back to it must be phrased in the specific way. Because if you don't specifically word it and phrase it in this way, then it won't stand. Yeah. And do we not take that and we apply it to the Bible, we apply it to God? Sure. And that's the problem. And that's the root. Jesus' teachings weren't difficult. They yeah. were simple. Mm -hmm. They were like stories, teaching, teaching themes and teaching principles of how mm -hmm. to live, how to treat people. Mm -hmm. You know, principles of love. Because I think that's the hardest thing we as human beings can do. Now, it's truly love. Now, what happens in the medical field, in healing? Is it that specific? Or does a really good doctor say, that medication is not working for you. Let's, yeah, let's try, try this, this one. Actually, that's not working for you. How about we go a vegetarian diet? No, you need some, you need some meat. I think that'll work really well for your body. Does that point stand? Somebody, you know, like I'm making this up. I'm, I'm processing right here in this conversation. So like, I mean, does that work? We've all been to the doctor and the doctor looks at your record and he says, we got to change some things here. Yeah. Right? But when you go to the legal system, like that's not really the case. Yeah. It's this, it's very cut and dry. It must be this it way or be. it will determine. Yeah. Right? But I think just like a doctor, Jesus says, okay, let's tweak this. And then, all right, now let's tweak this. You know, and he takes you on that journey of tweaking and growing and tweaking and growing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, there's some really important aspects kind of moving down through through the 10 principles, um, consider all scripture, point four, consider all scripture on the subject before drawing any conclusions on that subject. So, you know, and, and the lesson here really kind of points out a concordance is a must for this. So, you know, doing a word search, if you want to understand the idea of, you know, we'll just go super easy, God is love. So you look up all, you look in a concordance and you look at all the verses that contain the word love in the Bible. And it's probably like, 4,000 long or something ridiculous like that, right? So if you're crazy enough to have the time to read every single verse, but not just that verse, but like say the chapter that that verse contains, because one of the points for reading the Bible is context. I think that's point what, uh, six, consider the context. So Joe, we often have had these conversations too, where you're like, someone just like pulls that verse out, but like, what does it say before that? Or what does it say like after that to, to really understand what's taking place there? And, um, and I know for myself, there was a time in my life where I was too lazy to even care about all of that. Back, back to, I think it was your point, Joe, where you said, you know, what, 
what lens or what perspective are we trying to maybe prove or or whatever as we're reading the Bible. So we're we're just pulling this out and then throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, you know? I, I feel you. It's good. It's just a comment. <laughs> Joe, for, for those who are listening, Joe's looking at me like, and? <laughs> you didn't ask a question. You're looking at me. It's funny. <laughs> and? How about number eight? Check out number eight. That's on page 15. What's that say? Someone read for us that and like maybe the first paragraph. Interpretation of figurative speech or symbolism. Mm. How do we know when a passage is to be understood literally or figuratively in the Bible? The rule is... Maybe makes, before, before you read the answer. Oh, you want me to answer the question? Yeah, let's answer the question. Okay. Before we read the answer, how do you know when a passage is to be understood literally or figuratively in the Bible? You will find people, and we all, me too... We read something in the Bible, and it's like, whew, is that literal or is that figurative for crying out loud? Is that symbolic? A lot of symbolism in the Bible. No doubt. If it benefits you, your family, your community, and the environment, it's, maybe. That, but a symbolism could do that too, right? Lola's going to read us the whole answer, so we might as well just go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Seth. Finish that paragraph. What, what, what's the lesson say? Is The rule is, if it makes good sense as it stands, if it does not violate the laws of nature, then it can be understood as literal. However, if that is not the case, then it must be taken figuratively or as a symbol. Here are two examples of this. Go ahead. Read the two examples, brother. Matthew 5, 20... Verse 29, if you, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of the member, one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. That's, uh, Common sense says we should probably take that figuratively, but the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. So, got to pluck them eyes out, people. Straight up. Huh? Jesus would not have us gouge out our eye. Now note the following verse. What's the next one say, Seth? Revelation 3.1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Right? The lesson points out that a creature like, like that doesn't exist. Not in our natural, not in our world. So that must be symbolic. So, so some good stuff. Go ahead. What? I have a question. What about the burning bush? I know that's a weird one, but... What about it? Do you Sim think that was symbolic, or do you think that was... An actual real event that happened? Yeah. Mm. Both. What is the... Yeah. What, what is the, how is it used, and how is it brought up, and how is it brought up to, and what's the resolution after it? <clears throat> I don't know, you'd have to read it. 
but I'm asking you. Will it burn without being consumed? Without burning up? Without yeah. no ash? Yeah, right. so do you guys think it's symbolic? I think Is it's it... both. That's what I think. Okay. It's a great question, Seth. This is exactly what we want. This is exactly what we're all about. 100%. What is the context of the term burning bush? That's that's my question. I don't know the answer. Yep, we're in process. So what happened? What do you understand took place around that story, that event? Um, he was having a conversation with God. Moses, right? Yeah. So who pursued who first in that situation? Uh, I can't remember. Right. God did. God pursued. Okay. Moses is doing what? Tending his sheep. After 40 years of wilderness, after he murdered somebody. He sure. got very, I think he got very complacent. He got very complacent out there in the field tending his sheep. Yep. Just focusing on his sheep. And he had a little family. But God had a big mission for him to do. Something mm -hmm. very important. And God had to get his attention. Let me, let me ask you this. A, a cliche that we use a lot. I saw the light. Mm. Did Moses see the light? When you wake up or something happens, man, I saw the light. I did this or that. Was there actually figurative? Was there literally a light shining down upon you? Or was it, you know, especially if you're sleeping, was there a light in your bedroom shining down on you? No. So, so again, there, that could be that type of figurative figurative speech too I saw the light I like my opinion it really happened mm -hmm. I, I personally believe Seth that that is a literal event that literally happened and there's also evidences like okay so there's you know God's presence on Mount Sinai was fire light okay mm -hmm. but the mountain wasn't consumed God's presence in the most holy place on top of the Ark of the Covenant was fire or light, but it wasn't consumed. Um, there's actually a story in the Old Testament where uh, one of the prophet's sons were bringing like pagan fire before the Lord and dancing before him and mocking the whole thing. And the Bible actually says that the, the fire of the Lord went out and they died. But the Bible says that the priest walked in and carried them out by their tunics so if you're burned you want no clothes right so god's fire is not something that consumes physical material it is something else right so you could say the fire itself is symbolic of something because we don't possess fire in this nature that doesn't consume something right like we have light obviously but Here's an interesting question. Could you have a light that if it's bright enough, it could consume something? Like in our world? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that true? Does that exist? If you, wanna, if you want to talk about a light being able to produce enough heat oh, maybe. to then burn something. Okay. Or just a fire. Okay. I understand There's what you're saying. several descriptions of God in Scripture yeah. that talk about the fire, this fiery throne. Mm -hmm. um, when people dwelling in it. People dwelling in the fire. Yeah. So I think fire, to me, is symbolic of glory. His glory mm. is so bright, it's like a fire. Because was it? I always get them confused, Elijah or Elisha. One of them was in the cave. He wanted to see God's glory. 
that God told him he had to step back into the cave and he would pass by. But his he was so his glory is so bright and hot that it would the prophet wouldn't have been able to tolerate it. You know, so God had to shield him a little bit. So I think part of that fire is just simply God's glory is just so it's just so fabulous we just can't even imagine it. Yeah, because on his throne in heaven it talks about fire, fiery wheels and mm -hmm. yeah. So here's how I would view, Seth, your question. It is a literal event that actually happened. Moses was actually walking there with his sheep. God's presence came into a bush, and the bush was lit on fire, and light came out from it. It got Moses' attention, and he was open to receiving it. Here's how, here's how I interpret the symbolism of it. A bush is a living thing. Mm -hmm. Bush is alive. God's presence fire light came into something that is alive and it shone out in a way that got someone else's attention but the god's presence didn't destroy the bush it magnified it okay so the way i look at that and it's an object lesson for here's a dude complacent doing his thing he came from a rough past he's got a history of horrible deeds but it was through the living life of something else that god was able to extend his presence and capture that person's attention. So I personally look at it as an object lesson of saying, we are living things. God wants to shine his light into us. We aren't consumed by it, but it magnifies out from us and catches people's attention. Okay. And so they're able to connect. So it's both literal and figurative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how I Somebody personally would interpret this. I agree, this I agree. But can I play a double time kit? Yes. Um. <clears throat> Because what you're saying does violate the laws of nature. How, how does that work? Because here it says, mm -hmm. if it does not violate the laws of nature, then it can be understood literally. Right. So that's this, that's what I understand. And, and, and that's what I understand the symbolism of it. The symbolism of it. <clears throat> but then again, I don't have all the answers. But okay. We're just processing here. And that's a great question. Does anybody else think they have a good answer to that? So you're saying because the fire was in a bush and that would, but it didn't burn up, that violates our laws of nature. That we and should it do it. Violates it, it twice actually, because the fire just comes from nowhere, and secondly, it's okay. burning a living bush. So, so if I'm hearing your question, then that wasn't an actual event. That was a symbolical thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the what way you're getting at. Where, well, um, well, not how three. I'm not taking that. Like, right. I'm not saying that. I but the example that, in rule number three is back gorging our eye out. So. It, you know, right? Yeah. yeah. We could get lost in the. Or so what does it say it about God points. that we're debating and having this interesting <clears throat> aspect of this conversation? What's it say about God? He's complex. <laughs> okay. And who God is the spirit of truth. And Jesus said in John that if I don't go, then the spirit won't come because the, the, the comforter, the spirit will convict you of sin, lead you to all truth. Right? So it is God who leads us to truth. Right. So that's what it says about God. God's not afraid of these questions. God's not afraid of these conversations. God's not afraid of us wrestling with things. Because Job wrestled with things. Right? Job was like, why the heck? If you're such a good God, why did I lose everything? Why is this going on? I don't understand. I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. This feels like a discrepancy. I don't. This doesn't make sense. But I'll still trust you anyway. 
that will make sense. And in the end of the book of Job, God shows up and says, Job, you spoke of me what is right. And in the end, it made sense. Right? So what does that say about God? I think God even says, God tells us there's safety in numbers. Yeah, 100%. Because it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm. They work as a group. <laughs> no, safety in numbers. Yeah. And Jesus himself said, like, I don't speak of my own. I, yeah. I speak what I hear from the Father yeah. by the Spirit. Like, there's just constant... Conversation. Yes. Conversation. So to close out today's conversation and lesson one, interesting things to pull out. Um, before we get in, before we kind of close this out there, in item nine, he kind of deals with discrepancies in the Bible a little bit, but I just want to bring out to you the last paragraph on page 16 and into 17. The main thing in our Bible study is that we come to know the one the Bible testifies about. Speaking of the scriptures, Jesus said, These are they which testify of me, John 5, 39. And then he said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, John 17, 3. When Jesus said that they might know you, he meant more than intellectual knowledge. He meant a personal, intimate relationship with God, and the study of the Bible is an important part of that relationship. I really like how the author said an important part of that relationship. Studying the Bible is one aspect. What we see about God in nature is a second aspect. And then comparing that to our experience and all of that is a third aspect. Because Jesus, right, he not only spoke about the Bible, but he also like had Thomas say, put your hand in my side. Look at my hands. Experience for yourself. David in Psalms said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience it for yourself. Right? Any, any closing thoughts here before we kind of wrap up this lesson? Pretty interesting, huh? It's a lot. It's a lot to, a lot to digest. <clears throat> I know we kind of we kind of went through this whole lesson today versus breaking it up into two parts just to kind of get an overview. So we're gonna slow we'll slow down a lot more as we get into a deeper it's content. Like catch up week. Yeah, yeah, we'll slow down a lot more moving forward for sure. So it's gonna be a good book. I hope so too. Well, thank you guys all for man. This has been a really good conversation. Yeah. Uh, anyone close prayer for us? Before we close, it came to my mind for our listeners, we're going to be linking um, one of our members, Derek Sandstrom, is recording this Sherbert study in an audible format. So for our listeners, we'll be we'll be posting the link also so that you can you can get in there and listen if you don't have a copy of the book yourself. And we'll also post a link to the website where I mean it's found on Amazon, the Sherbert study, you can get it there. Um, but we'll also post a link to commonreasonministries.com. You can also get a PDF version of the study there too as well. So we'll just kind of keep that keep that in the conversation as we move forward through this. That'll be good. Okay. Seth, you want to close prayer? Go ahead, Lola. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and this discussion and for allowing us to... Uh, 
converse about your word and to understand it better. And um, thank you just for being here with us and helping us uh, as we go forward. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ask his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.